Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Crime Angle podcast. On this episode, we're traveling back all the way down to 1981 with the Keddy Cabin murders, California's infamous quadruple homicide that is still unsolved up to this day. Keddy is a tiny settlement in Plumas County on the outskirts of Quincy, California. Keddy had been bustling resort town since its revival in 1978. At the center of its up was a Keddy resort, a collection of 33 rustic cabins which could be rented on long term from around $170 per month. The stream was perfect for fishing, and the pine-studded trails were favorite amongst hikers. However, on April 11, 1981, this quiet settlement was rocked by a brutal quadruple murder that still remains unsolved. It was a spring morning on the 12th of April 1981 when 14-year-old Sheila Sharp entered cabin number 28 on Caddy Resort Road after attending a nearby sleepover. The Sharp family had been living in cabin 28 for the past five months after moving to Caddy from Quincy. Upon opening the front door, Sheila was met by a grisly scene. At some point during the night, somebody entered cabin 28 and ruthlessly murdered Sheila's mother, Glenna Sue Sharp. Her 15-year-old brother, John Sharp, and her brother, 17-year-old Dana Wingate. Sheila ran screaming back to the neighboring cabin and she had spent the night in the cabin. Member of the Seabold family in cabin 27 ran to the lodge at the Kelly Resort co-owner John Alpin, placed a call to a police alerting them to the murders. As police were on their way to the crime scene, Sheila remembered that her two younger brothers, 10, Greg Sharp, and 5-year-old Rick Sharp, were still inside the cabin, among with their friend, 12-year-old Justin Smart. Miraculously, all three boys were all unharmed. Seabold family and Sheila helped the boys climb out of the bedroom window, seemingly that they had slept throughout the entire massacre. Deputy Hank Clement was the first one on scene. All three of the victims were bound with the electrical wire and medical tape before they were systematically bludgeoned to death with a claw hammer. Uh, the murders had been pretentiously vicious. In addition to the being bludgeoned, Sue and John had been stabbed numerous times with a knife and their throats has been slashed. Sue had additionally been bludgeoned with the butt of a rifle and she had a defensive wounds on her arms indicating that she had put up a fight. She has been also nude from her waist down with her underwear stuffed in her mouth. Dana's autopsy concluded that in addition to the two wounds caused by the claw hammer, he had been mightily strangled. Discarded in the living room nearby the bodies was a knife which has been used during the attack. Shillingsley, it has been used with force that the blade had bent around 30 degrees.
The blood at the scene wasn't confined just to the floor of the victims. Blood has additionally discovered on the wallpaper in one of the bedrooms, on the living room ceiling and splattered across the furniture. The bottoms of the shoes bare feet and soles of one of the boys shoes were also covered in blood which indicated that they were mobile at some point during the attack and her step in the blood. There has been blood discovered on both bedroom doors and outside of the handrails of the back steps. It was soon discovered that Sheila's younger sister, 12-year-old Tina Sharp, was missing from the cabin. Tina had been wanted to stay overnight at Seabold's cabin with Sheila, but Sue hadn't allowed her. Members of the Plumas County Sheriff and rescue team scored the caddy area for the missing child, but no results. All points bulletin was put out to license and Sierra Counties and Reno asking to keep an eye out for Tina. She was described as having long blonde hair and slight build. She was wearing blue jeans and blue shirt when she was last seen the night before. The bulletin also asked the same areas to check with hospitals to see if anybody had come during the last 48 hours with knife injuries. They had speculated that the such violent attack that the killer or killers must have been harmed themselves in the process. The brutal murders shocked the community. Investigators tried to piece together last known moments of the victims. Witnesses said they saw John and Dana trying to thumb their right near the corner of the Christian Street and Lawrence Street in Quincy near the Gold Pan Motel. This was some of the time between 9pm and 10pm on the night of the murders where their whereabouts are unknown. At some point over the next 10 hours, however, the teenage boys ended up back at Caddy Resort where they had been murdered. Early on the investigation, robbery was ruled out of the motivation since nothing from the cabin appeared to be missing. Investigators have summarized that the murders had been somehow planned and had been perpetrated by two or more assailants, one of which had brought along a claw hammer and then used an additional hammer and two knives found inside the cabin that were texted the investigators. Most of it was been violent and frenzied attack and yet nobody heard a thing, not Craig, Rick, Justin or the neighbors who lived 10 feet away from the house. While it was initially reported that Justin slept through the entire ordeal, he later gave a conflicting stories to the investigators about that night. While first of all he said he witnessed nothing, he later claimed that he witnessed murders from the bedroom door. Later, however, Justin changed his story once again and relied that he had just dreamed of the murder. Under hypnosis, Justin recalled his dream. He described two men in the home. On one occasion, one had moustache and long hair, while other had short hair and was clean-shaven. Justin recalled that one of the men had pocket knife in his right hand, which he used to cut Sue in the chest. In his dream, the same man had hammer in the other hand. In another hypnosis session, Justin described Tina waking up and walking into a living room to see what was going on. 
According to Justin, a man then snatched Tina up in his arms and carried her throughout the kitchen and out of the back steps. Moments later, the man then returned to his own. A psychologist evaluated Justin's description of the dream and came to a conclusion that Justin had witnessed the murders and that as a defense mechanism he had converted what he actually saw into his dream. For the first few weeks of the investigation, the Plumas County Sheriff Department had eight investigators working on this case around the clock. They implemented a secret witness program to try to gain any leads. They substantially released sketches of two men were seen in Quincy the week before the murders. They're still not necessarily a suspects, but they were around the area and vanished shortly before the crimes. They were seen by more than one witness, according to the Plumas County Sheriff, Doc Thomas. The two men were never identified and eventually the tips dwindled to a trickle before diminishing almost completely. By the time a year had been elapsed, we would react and investigate leads as they came in, said the Plumas County Sheriff Sergeant Steve Wright. There was a lot of speculation over the years that the killer or the killers had wanted to get Tina for sexual purposes. Some even clung to hope that Tina was alive somewhere and being held hostage. Then, in April 1984, a bottle hunter stumbled across human remains near Feather Falls, northwest of Warwell, which is around 50 miles from Caddy. The remains were sent to laboratory for analysis and identification. Using dental records, the remains were identified as Tina. According to the medical examiner, Tina died sometime after 11 of November 1981, six months after the Caddy murders due to the advanced decomposition. Her cause of death could not be determined, but it's accepted that she was too murdered as well. Since then, a lot of theories and speculations was around the town. Theories of who committed the quadruple murder and why it had abandoned. There were many potential suspects over four coming weeks and years. Very few of them were publicly identified, but there was never enough evidence for anybody to be charged. John and Dana walked into a having a slings and became victims themselves. As one theory that was put forward by the investigators early on that was the people who had picked up John and Dana in Quincy were the people responsible for the murders. A potential scenario was after dropping John and Dana at the cabin, the killers then forced their way to the cabin or had potentially been invited inside by the teenagers. Another theory was that the driver had nothing to do with the murders. Under the death scenario, investigators speculated that John and Dana walked into a slayings and became victims themselves. Earlier in the evening before John and Dana had hitchhiked back to the cabin, they attended a party at home of the well-known Quincy family. However, well, there was said to be an illicit drug use at the party, so the potential witnesses refrained from coming forward. Investigators had also considered that the killers had been at the same party and then followed 
Dana and John back home. In fact, there have been reports that there was a pair of men at the party that were said to be acting very particular, but the two men were never identified. There's also been rumors early that the murders were the work of a cult, but this was ruled out on the investigation. Then in 1996, Robert Joseph Silveria Jr. was looked as a potential suspect. He lived in Plumas County in mid-80s and was known as a courteous man who decorated envelopes with incriminated drawings during his time as a county employee. He was arrested in 1996 and was suspected of at least 17 murders for 15 years. Silveri had drifted throughout the United States on the railroads, killing other drifters he came in contact with. Following his arrest, he confessed to the 28 murders, including the Keddie murders. Although he would only be convicted of two of those murders, it would be later uncovered that Silveri had been in custody and locked up at the time for a Grand F. Auto. As the years passed, amongst the first suspects to emerge in the case were Martin Ray Smart and John Bowlby over the years. Smart and Bowlby had remained lead suspects and the fact Justin had been the stepson of the Smart and the family lived next in the cabin next to Sue. At the time of the murders, Caddy had a drug problem and one of the key players was allegedly Smart. On the night of the murders, Smart and Bowlby showed up at local Caddy bar wearing three-piece suits and sunglasses, almost as if they were trying to draw attention to themselves. Other patrons of the bar recollected that they were acting weird. Both men had criminal records and Bowlby had ties to an organized crime in Chicago. Before the murder, Sue said that she was counseling smart wives, Maureen, about having her husband because he was allegedly abusive and was having affairs behind her back. At the time, however, there were rumors that Sue and Smart had been having the affair. There's been also a speculation amongst the investigators that Smart had learned that Sue and Marlin had been speaking. Smart was extremely jealous and positive a man, according to some investigators, so Marlene. Some of the investigators had speculated that it wasn't just Smart and Bollaby who were involved in the slayings, but instead a number of local people. Based on this, many investigators have reached the conclusion that the intended victim that night was Sue and the others were murdered simply because they were witnesses. Shortly after the murders, Smart has questioned about the murders and had informed investigators that the hammer of his it had recently gone missing. Shortly after Smart and Bowlby left the Plumas County for Klamath Falls, Oregon. Here, Smart wrote a letter to Marlene, which he professed his love for her and concluded with the letter, quote, I've paid the price for your love and now I brought it with four people's lives. In 2016, there was another tip came in. It was revealed that an anonymous counselor at the Veterans Administration in Reno, California, 
came forward with the information that impacted Smarts and the Caddy murders. According to the counselor, Smart has confessed to the brutal murders while a patient just several weeks after the murders occurred. He claimed that he wanted to clear his conscience and admitted killing Sue and Tina, who at this point still remain missing. Quote, I killed that woman and the daughter, but I didn't have to do anything with the boys, he allegedly said. The council pressed further and asked why Tina didn't run away. Smart replied that he had incapitated her and later had to kill her because she was a witness. As for motivation, the counselor claimed that the Smart believed that Sue was responsible for Marlene wanting to divorce. But, on the other hand, the Department of Justice would dismiss these allegations as heresy. Both Smart and Bullaby passed the lie detectors during the original investigation. Neither has ever arrested or... Despite this exclusive investigation, the Caddy murders still remain unsolved today. It's unusual someone to get away with killing four people, said Ron DeCrona, the patrol commander for the Sheriff's Department. It bothers me, it's still that very creepy to me. I feel uneasy when driving throughout there when I go on patrol. The Caddy murders regarded as Plumas County's greatest mystery. The massacre marked the downfall for the most northern Sierra Mountain Resort, with the killer never being identified. Paranoid tourists began staying away from Caddy in droves. Today, Caddy is little more than a dialect ghost town. The only visitors are those with morbid falsification, seeking out cabin 28, which was demolished in 2004. While the murders have remained unsolved for most of four decades, the investigators still hold cling to hope that one day justice can be served. Quote, I think it will be solved, it's just that the killers were lucky after all these years, said the Deputy Lieutenant Don Stoy. Thank you for listening for today's episode. I hope you find that interesting and hopefully you'll have a great day. Thank you again for listening.